Hey everyone, it's Michelle. And Brayden. And this is Spooky Shit. So this week we're going to be talking about women who kill. I'm going to be starting off with Aileen Warnes. And then I'm going to talk about Dorothea Puente. Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. But first things first, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, but I'm a little tired. <laughs> a little tired? What? You haven't been tired at all recently. <laughs> no, I mean... Tell about your shitty schedule. <laughs> I mean, um, for the most part, I've been okay, but like last night, I only got two hours of sleep. That's not and sleep. Then, yeah, it's a, a nap. I had a nap. I had <laughs> yeah. a two-hour nap before going to work, and then yeah, today I was like super tired. I literally got home and just crashed, and so it was time to go to school. How are you even capable of working on two hours of sleep? I don't know. It's not. It wasn't bad. You're wild. I you mean, know, just pass out. It's well, yeah. Like the hours are shitty, and like. It sucks, but <laughs> honestly, the hardest part is like literally just getting up. It's not oh, even yeah. like the loss of sleep or anything like that. It's literally the getting up part. Your body is just like, fuck you. It's been two hours. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I didn't want to like fight it. So I, as soon as my alarm went off, I was like, I just told myself, get up. Like, don't make it harder. Oh. And so, yeah, I just got up and got ready and. The thing is, like, like once I'm up, like, I'm up. And, like, um, mm-hmm. like at work, you obviously kind of wake up because you're, like, moving Doing around. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so once I'm awake, like, it's fine. It's not until, like, later that it, like, hits me and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh, wait, God, I did just sleep two hours. <laughs> yeah. Like, at school last night, I literally was, like, dying. My eyes were, like, getting small and, like they were burning <laughs> oh oh my god oh yeah it's because yesterday i didn't because usually i take a nap after work but yesterday mm-hmm. i didn't because i was doing notes for the podcast oh my god <laughs> now you're blaming me for your no, lack of sleep it's not your fault it's me for procrastinating and not using my days off correctly i did a lot of my research today no. Like, this morning, and by morning, I mean I woke up at 11.30. I like 2 o'clock this afternoon. I did a lot yesterday, but I did some today too. Mm. Yeah, I've also been procrastinating. Robert was like giving me shit. He's like, why didn't you like start earlier? And I was like, because we hadn't chosen a subject until – okay, so we're recording on Friday. I think we chose the subject on like Wednesday? I think so. Like I don't remember. Or no, maybe like Tuesday night. I think you texted me while I was streaming. So I didn't see it till like two in the morning. <laughs> and then Wednesday, oh, I was just yeah. busy. Yeah. You, you like texted me at like three in the morning. I was like, what the? Because I think I was at work and I was like. You're what? just trying your shits. I'm just ending mine. <laughs> yeah, I was literally like, what the fuck, this girl? Yeah, no, our uh, schedules are not cohesive with one another at all. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> in fact, tonight we are recording my story but then i have to stream in an hour so we're gonna stop after my story and record his part tomorrow mm-hmm. it's just become a shit show over here a spooky shit show <laughs> hey got him uh too funny 
Yeah. How have your classes been? I don't even remember what the fuck we were talking about and how I got just so distracted. So new question. <laughs> um, Honestly, it's kind of whack right now because... <laughs> No, it really is. That's an honest answer. My professor, like, I guess he just, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't know if he's, like, overwhelmed or what, but I'm, he basically just has me. I don't know why, but I'm, like, in the class with a bunch of, like, seniors that are, like, just waiting. Like, they're close to graduating, and mm-hmm. he literally just has me watch watch them do procedures. Like, what? Yes. Yeah, like, he hasn't, like show me like how to do anything or like I feel like I can't even practice on my doll head because I don't know how to do anything besides like hairstyles that's so, so annoying so yeah I've literally like the past two weeks I've just been watching you're but, the only one watching everyone else is doing stuff yeah everyone else is doing stuff and I'm like dude like and I feel bad because like I'm literally just fucking standing there doing nothing like just mm-hmm. literally watching them and like just observing and it's kind of like dude like when am i actually gonna do something that's so frustrating it's because you give off this supervisor like <laughs> vibe that they're like hey he could just watch right I, yeah, like he yes. works here doesn't he <laughs> but yeah that's, so that's, that's so annoying you're paying to just stand there and watch people yeah i know and i was telling uh, my mom who told like the other classmates that I was like in their class too so I know them Mm -hmm. and they were like oh hell no she was like you want us to go over there with you and like have words with him and I was like no (laughs) you are you gonna say anything or are you just gonna wait till he realizes no he knows because I mean I asked him when I first went to his class I was like hey because I just showed up with my iPad and I didn't Mm -hmm. bring anything like of my materials and stuff because I didn't know what I was going to need. And I asked him, like, oh, hey, like, what am I going to need so I can, like, go get it? And he was like, actually, I'm just going to have you watch them. And then until I, like, figure it out. And then the next, like, class day, it was the same thing. He was like, uh, just, like, watch them again. And then this, this week, I basically didn't ask him. I just, I just, like, was like, well, I guess I'm watching. That's so annoying. He's like, he just kind of forgot, like, oh, yeah, I have to find something to do. Right? Yeah, kind of, I guess. He's just used to you standing there now. You're just like the hangout person. I guess. <laughs> but um, starting, well, on Tuesday, I'm planning to, like, talk to him again because it's kind of, like, it's getting boring. Like, I'm freaking, yeah, like, just standing there. And a bunch of them, like, just are doing the same things. That's so, so it's kind of like, dumb. and I'm like, they're all going like, to learn and you just have to watch. Well, most of them already know everything. They're just like practicing, basically. Oh, okay. Why, why were you put in this class? I don't know. Is this like a mistake? Because he doesn't even know what to do with you. Well, that's what I thought. But actually, another educator today, she actually called me and was like, hey, you were like in that class, right? And I was like, yeah. And then she was saying how... I guess another student that's actually in my mom's class. He's in the wrong class, basically, and he's gonna join me. Um, oh, in Barbara class, and I'm like, oh, so there's gonna be two of us standing around doing. I nothing. was just gonna say, so you guys can at least talk to each other. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, maybe since there's gonna be two of us now, though, he might like try to find something. It's gonna be harder to ignore two people just hovering there doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. 
I would just email him and be like, hey, just following up. You said you'd find something to do. Yeah, it's just weird. Well, it's because it's honestly, they're kind of a little disorganized. And it's just weird. Their system, like there's Mm -hmm. new students like every like month, I want to say, if not like weird. So it's just weird because like everyone's at a different like level. So it's not like a traditional school system. Uh uh-uh, uh, not at okay. all. Like in the class I'm in right now, there's like somebody that's gonna graduate. I think in February, another one's gonna graduate in like April, <laughs> and like another one in May. So it's literally like all sorts of like every day someone else shows up. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I mean they've all been there, but like they're all like at different points. Yeah. They Which don't have I, any, like, starting date, like, semesters. Yeah. And it's just, like, very, like, confusing, I guess, because everyone's at a different pace. So it's, I feel like it's mm-hmm. hard. I understand why it'd be hard for him to, like, not know, like, what to teach or, you know what I mean? No, that sounds really like, hard to figure out what to teach people. Right? Everyone's at different levels. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. So it's been kind of, like, boring and shitty, but. I just try to make the best of it. I am, like, mm-hmm. trying to learn stuff. Like, um, I saw um, one of the educators, like, basically, she uh, colored some girl's hair. Mm-hmm. She's, like, bald, and she, like, did, like, color flames on them, and I thought that was pretty oh, cool. Oh, so cool. Yeah, it was sick. That's so sick. And then I've seen, like, some of the students just basically cut each other's hair. They actually cut my hair. I let them practice on me. Ooh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I told you last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. it. It looked good. Yeah, it was good. They took their time. <laughs> <laughs> They're learning. They're student. But, yeah, literally yesterday, everyone, it was like a color day. Everyone was, like, coloring. Oh, cool. Like, one of them. Do? No, I didn't do anything. I was watching. God. <laughs> that was, that's so annoying. Okay. Well, what did the other people do? Um, one of them dyed her hair like black, black, and then just like her bangs part red. Oh, nice! Um, and then the other one just kind of like did highlights. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was the flames. The flames sound so fucking cool. Yeah. It looked oh cool. I should have taken the picture. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. are you in? other classes or is that like the main class you go to no it was well that's just like the one class because i thought you meant like that's one class and then you get to do stuff in the other so you just don't get to do anything no well because that's the class that i physically go to and then the other the rest of the week Mm -hmm. it's distance like it's distance learning so it's just Mm -hmm. like book work so you don't it, get like the practice with everyone else right now. No. That's so annoying. Hopefully that that second person coming like makes them figure it out. I hope so. He's young. He seems cool. The teacher? No, the uh, Oh, the other person? The other person. Cuz nice. he's in my mom's class right now. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when he first started, he literally like said like why am I in this class? Like I think I'm in the wrong class and they were like no, you're not. And now they're like, "Ah, <laughs> and like, actually, you are. About that. <laughs> it's because, like, it doesn't, I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Just, That's super lame. like, I don't know. 
because he literally just started and they're like throwing him in with like a class that already like has been there like for a month and yeah. he's basically like started where they're at so it's very like, unorganized right so he like yeah. totally missed that like first whole month of like things we did do you think that you would recommend this school to somebody or is it a little too unorganized? I mean, I don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, I really don't know how everything works yeah. either. Yeah, you haven't been in it that long either. Yeah, so. I'm just trying to get you talk shit about your school publicly. I mean, ask me. <laughs> ask me when it's closer to graduating. Okay, I will. But right for right now, it, yeah, it sucks. But we'll see. <laughs> I hope it gets better. I hope so too. But yeah. I've just been sleeping, going to school. <laughs> going to Disneyland. I had, did not go. You didn't go? No, they went without me. You thought okay. I went? <laughs> yes. Okay. No. I was waiting. I was going to just say, how is Disneyland? I thought this was more fun. Uh, I saw on Instagram that Brayden's wife, Alaris, went to Disneyland with like my sister and her boyfriend. So I just assumed you were there. No. No, I didn't go. I was working. Oh my god, that sucks. I did think it was weird that you would even be able to survive being awake at that time, but (laughs) that sucks. Yeah. Did she get a season pass or just for the day? No, just for the day because of Leah and your cousin. Because of my cousin? Yeah. My cousin went. I guess. Oh, my cousin that works there. Yeah, your cousin that works there got him in. I forgot. Oh, they gone for free? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. I forgot also, he got like laid off during COVID and got rehired later part-time. So I forgot he got rehired. And I was like, what cousin? <laughs> and you know what extra confused me is yesterday, Robert and I went to Disneyland with his cousin. So I was just like, also thinking of that, I was like, are you saying like she really didn't want to go the same day as us or something? <laughs> like, I don't get it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, um, that was a fun conversation we just had. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I guess Leah was saying she had an extra ticket and told Alaris about it. And then she was like, yeah. And then I guess she invited me too, but I worked, so. Yeah. And then I guess, (laughs) I guess Jesus was under the impression that I was going. (gasps) So when Alaris, like, showed up at their house to, like, carpool. Yeah. He was like, where's Brayden? And she's (laughs) like, what are you talking about? He ain't coming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did he end up just third wheeling all day Alaris and <laughs> <laughs> yep probably I yep, don't know pretty much <laughs> um, love it but yeah I didn't go oh my gosh I thought you were just living the moment no time to post on the Instagram account like <laughs> nope that nope, sucks I wasn't there hopefully you could go soon <laughs> I hope so too we'll see you'll have to go and meet me and Robert there too true have you been to the Beast Library? Yes. I didn't even know this fucking existed. <laughs> it's kind of hidden. Yeah, Robert's cousin showed us because I guess she's like really likes Disneyland stuff too. She just hasn't been able to go since COVID started. Mm-hmm. So that's why we took her. And she like showed us this one place. It's like super hidden and it's cute because it looks like Belle, like the library in Beauty and the Beast, but like smaller, obviously. And it was cool. You could uh, go and, like, look at this, like, mirror in this book, and it'll, like, take a picture of you, and then, like, you do a little personality quiz and tells you which character <laughs> you're in. Yep. 
I got that I was like Princess Belle. Robert got that he was like Winnie the Pooh. Hmm. <laughs> and then the last question on it was like, what, do you want to eat a nice lunch with people or do you want to eat nice people for lunch? And we both <laughs> just said like a nice lunch with people. And Robert's cousin was like, oh, I want to see what happens. And she chose the eating people and she got Maleficent. <laughs> mm. it was so cool i'd never been down there before and we were like losing our minds it was sick <laughs> yeah it's really cool i'm we've gone there a few times and i took the quizzes a few times but i don't remember what i got i was gonna say who are you no it <laughs> took it like years ago <laughs> okay dang um, it's been around for years mm-hmm. i am missing out here yeah there's a lot of like little stuff that people don't even like know about it's so cool. Unless you're like an AP holder and go a lot, like mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of like little like places, little spots. Yeah, little there was spots. one place we only noticed like two trips ago that in California Adventures there's like a little theater that you can go in and like we watched um like Mickey's orchestra and it was basically like Daffy Duck was like messing up the orchestra and he ended up like going and seeing like all the other Disney princesses and stuff, and they were singing their main songs. <laughs> Did you say Daffy Duck? Donald the Duck? <laughs> Who's Daffy Duck? I do this every fucking time. <laughs> Who the fuck is Daffy? Isn't that from Daffy Looney Tunes? Uh, yeah, it is. I just looked it up. I always say Daffy, so then, and Robert corrected me <laughs> recently, so now I'm just like, oh, look, it's him. And I don't say his name. It's Damn Donald it. I felt, Duck. I felt so confident, too. Yeah, yeah I'm, like, I'm always like Daffy and Daisy. No, Donald and Daisy. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dead. But okay. yeah, I've seen that one. We didn't even know that existed till recently. We just heard wow. them saying over the announcement saying was happening, and we're like, wonder what that's about. And we're like, oh, this is so cute. I need to like look up like small things like that for next time we go. No, oh, yeah, because I I'm not in the loop. Clearly. Have you been to the other theater like going towards Guardians? I don't think so. Oh. Can you go, like, is it, like, a movie, or what is it? It's, like, a play. I think for the longest time, they were doing a Frozen one, but I think they, I, well, I mean, I haven't been, but the mm-hmm. most recent time, I think they were doing Aladdin. That's so cute. No, I'm not yeah, going to go to that. It's literally, I think, I'm not even going to try to say it, <laughs> but it's literally the one on the corner, like, next to, like, that billboard where it looks like it goes forever. Or yeah, forever, but like literally, right illusion there. wall. It looks like yeah. it's an entire long street just because it's like a 3D painting. Okay, I'm gonna go check that out. A lot of stuff, like the buildings, you don't think are real buildings, you think that they're just fake, and then they're like, oh, surprise, you can actually go in here and do stuff. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna like look up secrets, but she, like, yeah, she knew that thing, which we thought was cool, and she's like been to the club 33 before. Ooh. Yeah, she even has Club 33 ears. So Damn. we're like, you're kind of a big deal. Like, if you show any employees this, they're going to give us, like, an escort for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Club 33 is, like, a very fancy membership thing with Disneyland. I think she, like, her mom knows somebody who knows somebody that has, like, a yeah, membership. It the, is extremely expensive. Yeah, I was going to say it's really expensive. Yeah, she is not a member. She just got a hookup once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she bought the ears. And the ears still cost the normal ear price, which is insane because Club 33, I think, is like thousands of dollars or something. Yeah, it's definitely a few oh. Gs just for the oh membership. And there's like a 10-year wait list. And then you can't even get ears for free. What's the <laughs> point? 
I feel like they owe you at that point. I heard the food <laughs> is bomb, though. She said it was good. I wasn't sure if it actually would be because, like, it's Disneyland, you know? I, I thought it would be like, the same as other food, but apparently you it's know what? Food at Disneyland, the actual, like, pricey restaurants, mm-hmm. are, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, we went to Blue Bayou uh, a couple times ago. I don't think I ever said this. It was my first time going to Blue Bayou. It's so cute. Uh, it's like indoors and it looks like you're just outside on a bayou. It's actually <laughs> next to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. You can see it from the ride. Uh-huh. But we got like this cauliflower steak thing with grits and it was so dank. So dank, so dank. Well, I was going to say, I don't remember. Well, I don't think I've ever eaten at the really fancy restaurants at Disneyland. But like at mm-hmm. Disney World, we did go to a bunch of them and like Ooh. the food was like really good. Yeah, Disneyland's nice because other amusement parks, you know, just have like shitty amusement park food. They actually like have some dank foods. Yeah, I mean, it is on the pricier side. Oh, yes. <laughs> but it, it is pretty good. We, uh, since we went, it's the Lunar New Year celebration. And that's part of the reason we wanted to go is they had like cool drinks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we got this one drink that was supposed to be like, ginger lemonade with like lychee popping boba in it so we were like hella hyped for that and then we got it and they didn't even put the boba in it damn it was disappointing because it was a ten dollar drink yeah it's it also it also is ten dollars because it came with like a lotus glowing cube thing on top which it wasn't optional we had to pay ten dollars for this drink (laughs) but i'm gonna email them and see if i could get some money back because i'm like we paid ten dollars for lemonade with a flower we didn't even get any boba damn (laughs) we'll see it was dank. It was good. I'll admit that it was really good. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the other thing I had going on that I was really excited to mention. I haven't mentioned this in a while. I got not one, not two, but three villager photos in Animal Crossing today. Oh my God. Back to back, dude. I went and talked to three people that I've been like waiting to get their pictures and all three of them gave me their pictures. And I was like, oh my God, you guys are going to move so soon as soon as I get the chance you're out. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Yeah, savage. I can invite them back later if I want, but for now they're going to go to my graveyard. My creepy picture graveyard. (laughs) Well, how many is that now? I lost track. I think over 20. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was going to say. I need say. to go count someday. Since I put them all in my little makeshift graveyard, which after they move when they give me their pictures, I'm like, oh, they're dead to me. So I make a little gravestone and I put their picture on a little stool next to the grave. I'm dead. I remember you it's, showed me. It's hard to keep track of how many there are because it's an expansive <laughs> graveyard. And I have it kind of like random looking, not too organized. <laughs> like it was a sudden death. That's so dark. Yeah. I, I was not my idea. You know, a lot of people do graveyards and I was inspired. A lot of people are creepy. It's not just me. <laughs> I actually saw a video on Reddit on the Animal Crossing one of somebody who was like, oh, I want my neighbor Gail to move. Gail's a cute little pink alligator that has a heart on her snout. And then it showed them like building a little fenced in area with two squares. And then they like planted a pitfall seed, which is basically if you run over it, you fall into a hole. And they pushed Gail into the area. So she walked into the seat. And when she was stuck in the hole, they closed a fence. So she had to be stuck in the hole forever. And her character was just like trying to get out desperately and looked all sad. And I was like, this is awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> that felt like creepy. I was like, why are you doing this to Gail? <laughs> that was personal. <laughs> yeah, that was personal. Like, I liked Gail. She's in my graveyard now. But at least I didn't do that. <laughs> 
Damn. So that's by far my biggest news. Anything else before I start my story? I don't think so. Okay. Feel free to interrupt. I know we will. Both of us. <laughs> okay. So I'd like to give a trigger warning for mentions of sexual assault and rape, everyone. So this week I'm going to be talking about Aileen Warness. Aileen Warness, nicknamed Lee, was born on February 29, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan to parents Diane Warness and Leo Dale Pittman, the second born to the couple after their son Keith the year before. While pregnant with Lee, her mom was just 16 years old and had been married to Lee's father since she was 14 and he was 18. Already so creepy. Red flag. <laughs> red flag, red flag. <laughs> but the two divorced two months before their daughter was born. And Lee never actually met her father as he was in prison at the time of her birth. Leo himself was later diagnosed with schizophrenia and was convicted on sex crimes against children. He later died by hanging himself in prison in 1969. Pussy. Yeah, no, he's not a good dude. <laughs> in January of 1960, Diane abandoned her kids and left them with their maternal grandparents, Lori and Britta Warnos, who had two children of their own in the home. And at first, I was like, two children of their own? How's that possible? And I was like, oh, my God, their mom was, what, like, 17 probably at this point? Like, she wasn't exactly old. Damn. (laughs) Or, like, early 20s. Lee and Keith were legally adopted by the couple in March of 1960, though the kids weren't even told they'd been adopted until they were around, like, 11, 12 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was certainly not a peaceful childhood for Lee, as both of her grandparents were alcoholics and her grandfather would allegedly sexually and physically abuse her. It's just like, damn, bad adult figure after bad adult figure for her. Like, it's actually fucking sad. Uh, Likely due to all the trauma she experienced, she had an explosive temper and had a hard time making friends. By the time she was 11, Lee began to partake in sexual acts in school to get cigarettes, drugs, and food. 11. That's like a fifth grader. Dude. Not to spoil it, but that's her story similar to Dorothea's. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. You'll see. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Lee also later claimed that her and her brother had consensual sex as teenagers, but... She, like, she said a lot of things that later on she took back, so who knows. Mm. At 14 years old, Lee was impregnated after being raped by a friend of her grandfather. She gave birth to this baby at a home for unwed mothers in 1971 and placed them up for adoption. Just a few months after giving birth, she dropped out of school, and around the same time, her grandma died of liver failure. When she was 15, she was kicked out of her home by her grandpa and began to live in the woods near her old home and support herself via sex work. 15 now. Awful. Winters could be brutal in Michigan, so Lee had to find, like, abandoned cars to sleep in or rely on the help of strangers who were willing to give her shelter for a little bit. At some point, I believe, like, when she was a teenager or, like, a young adult, her grandpa also died of, like, possibly suicide it's not confirmed but people think that he killed himself too Mm. it's like suicide really ran in her family at this point in may of 1974 now 18 years old lee was arrested in jefferson county colorado for driving under the influence disorderly conduct and for firing a gun from a moving vehicle she was also later charged with failure to appear in court 
So it's not clear what happened in the next two years, but by 1976, she had hitchhiked her way to Florida and met 69-year-old Yacht Club president Louis Gratz Fell, and the two quickly married. The marriage didn't last long, as Lee frequently got into fights at their local bar, which, like, embarrassed, like, her uh, high-society husband, you know? She even, like, briefly had to go to jail uh, based on these assault charges. Damn. She also allegedly assaulted her own husband, hitting him with his own cane, resulting in him filing a restraining order. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's fucking wild. But Lee herself <laughs> claimed that Lewis beat her with the cane. So, I don't I don't know which one it was. If they are both beating each other with the cane, like, what the fuck? Maybe. Not the best couple, though. Maybe he hit her, and then she just went psycho on him and was like fuck you yeah it could be <laughs> that summer lee found out that her brother was on hospice and living with oh i forgot to look it up as if as i think it's esophagus cancer oh uh it's like esophageal oh yeah, yeah. it's definitely esophagus cancer <laughs> <laughs> so she headed back to michigan to be with him but ultimately he passed away on july 17th 1976 only at the age of 21 oh shit i know Lee was a beneficiary to Keith's life insurance and received a payout of $10,000, which is about $49,000 today. But reportedly, she spent it all in a matter of months, including like on a super like nice car that she wrecked and just like destroyed it. And she ended up back in Florida. Damn. Just days after her brother's death, too, Lee and her husband were officially annulled over their marriage after just nine weeks together. You know what? I think that this is the year that her grandpa died. I think it was 1976. Because I remember reading and be like, bro, everything fucking happened in 1976. Holy shit. Uh, damn. Yeah. It was a busy year. <laughs> it was a busy year for Lee. <laughs> Back in Florida, Lee's streak of crime continued. In May of 1981, she was arrested again for the armed robbery of a convenience store after stealing $35 and two packs of cigarettes. She was sentenced to prison in 1982 and was released just a year later. In 1984, she was arrested for attempting to use forged checks at a bank, and in 85, she was a suspect in the theft of a gun and ammunition. In early 84, she was arrested and charged for car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice upon giving the police, like, a family member's name instead of hers. <laughs> Upon searching this, this stolen car that she was in, authorities found a gun and a box of ammunition. I didn't confirm, but I'm thinking it's the gun ammunition she probably stole earlier that she's a suspect in. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Six months later, she was detained after a man she knew claimed that Lee had pulled a gun on him and demanded he give her $200. In 1986, Lee, now 30 years old, was at a gay bar named Zodiac in Daytona Beach when she met 24-year-old Tyra Moore. The two soon fell in love and moved in together, mostly living in rooms and motels, with Lee supporting them via part-time jobs or sex work. In 1987, the pair were questioned together regarding an allegation they had assaulted and beat someone with a beer bottle. Yeah, unfortunately, she's bi, everyone. But we will not accept her in our bi community. <laughs> I'll say that. In late November 1989, Lee committed her first murder. Richard Mallory, a 51-year-old electronics store owner, had driven Lee to a secluded area to have sex with her when he was shot to death. 
Lee claims that this killing was in self-defense and that Richard had beaten and sodomized her after isolating her in his car. It should be noted that he did indeed have a history of sex crimes. Mm. So that could have really happened. His car was found two days after his murder, although his body remained where left for two weeks before being found. He'd been shot several times, with the most deadly being two bullets in the left lung. When police... Yeah, yeah, yeah. When police discovered that Richard had a history of going on alcohol and sex binges, they actually had no idea who who could have killed him. Like, Lee wasn't on the radar at all. Mm. 49-year-old David Spears was Lee's next victim. David had been a construction worker and was reported as missing on May 19, 1990. His naked body was found on June 1, 1990, along U.S. Route 19 in Citrus County, Florida. He had been shot six times. On May 31, 1990, Lee took her next victim, Charles Karskadon, a 40-year-old rodeo worker who was shot nine times by Lee. His body was found on June 6 in Pasco County, badly decomposing and wrapped in an electric blanket. Witnesses actually saw Lee driving around in Charles's car, and she was seen pawning off his gun to a gun shop. Following the death of Charles, police began to tentatively link all the murder victors to the same perpetrator, thinking that perhaps they had a serial killer. Just weeks later, Lee is believed to have killed Peter Seams. 65-year-old retired merchant seaman Peter had left Jupiter, Florida in June of 1990, but was never seen again. On June 4th, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida, but his body has still never been found to this day. Oh, shit. I don't understand how. Like, what the she, fuck? She hid him. But all, I mean, spoiler, all the other bodies were found, so. Maybe he's not dead. And they didn't seem like they were hidden. I was thinking, like, this is such a fucking conspiracy. What if he was able to, like, talk her into not killing him by being like, I'll fucking disappear or something, you Yeah, know? May- maybe that's why yeah. I'm saying he's not dead. Yeah. I mean, he probably that's is crazy. dead. But, like, it's weird that they never found his body, I yeah. think. Lee and Tyra were seen by witnesses abandoning Peter's car after getting into a car accident, and Lee's palm print was found on the inside door handle. Thanks to witness statements, descriptions of the woman were released to the public in an effort to find them. On July 31, 1990, 50-year-old salesman Troy Burris was also reported missing, though his body was found several days later in a wooded area along the side of State Road 19. He had been shot twice. Lee's next victim was 56-year-old Charles Dick Humphreys, a retired U.S. Air Force major and a former state child abusive investigator and chief of police. All the titles. Dick was fully clothed at the time of his death on September 11, 1990. He'd been shot six times in the head and upper torso. His body was found the next day in Marion County, and his car was later found in a different county. Walter Antonio was Lee's final victim. The 65-year-old trucker, security guard, and reserve police officer's nude body was found on a remote road on November 19, 1990. He'd been shot four times. His car was found nearly a week later in a different county than his body. Items belonging to some of Lee's victims were found in pawn shops around Florida, and when prints were taken from them, they were found to match those found in victims' cars. As Lee had a criminal record in Florida, her fingerprints were already on file and easy to compare. Also, multiple witnesses had come forward and said that Lee looked a lot like the sketch of one of the people spotted dumping Peter's car. 
On January 9, 1991, Lee was arrested on an outstanding warrant for something unrelated while the biker bar The Last Resort. While in custody, police were able to locate Tyra, who had gone to Scranton, Pennsylvania. She told police that Lee had told her about her first victim's murder the night it occurred, but she did not ask about any other incident for fear of her own life. She agreed to help get a confession of murder from Lee in exchange for immunity for herself. Upon returning to Florida, Tyra was put up in a motel, and while being guided by police, she would call Lee every day and beg for her help in clearing her name. After three days of this, Lee confessed to the murders, claiming that the men had all attempted to rape her and that she'd killed them in self-defense. She also maintained that Tyra had no involvement in the killings. In a really fucking bizarre term of events that there's no way you're going to see this happening. In November of 1991, Lee, who is now 35, was legally adopted by a 44-year-old woman named Arlene Crow. What? (laughs) (laughs) So Arlene was a born-again Christian who had seen Lee's photo on a local newspaper, and as she stared into Lee's eyes, she said that God prompted her to do something. So she sent a letter to Lee saying, I don't care if you're guilty or innocent, but I want to be your friend. While Arlene's husband initially was hesitant of the relationship for obvious reasons, he eventually came around and became Lee's legal father. <laughs> that- These people are also only like 10 years older than her. Like That's wild. You guys are like the same age. <laughs> it's so weird. But yeah, she saw her picture and was like, God needs me to adopt her. <laughs> she said, oh, yep, that's my child. <laughs> that's my child. Hell yeah. <laughs> On January 14, 1992, Lee went to trial for the murder of Richard Mallory, with Tyra acting as a star witness for the prosecution, and ultimately the jury ended up finding Lee guilty of murder. In late January of 1992, she was sentenced to death for this killing. The defense team made an effort during the trial to introduce evidence showing that Richard Mallory had a history of sexual offense and had even been observed as having strong sociopathic trends while getting treated. But the judge refused to allow these records to be brought up in trial and denied Lee a retrial. So, like, the other people obviously fucked up. This first murder, though, I'm like, okay, it, I I think it was self-defense, personally. I I think so, too. And then I think she just kind of got a rush out of it. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. she, like, kept doing it. Exactly. That's what I think, yeah. Because... I mean, what are the chances of her killing this innocent person that also happened to be, like, a known rapist sociopath? (laughs) Like... Yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible, but I don't know. I I do believe that story, at least. In March of 92, Lee pled no contest to the murders of victims Charles Humphreys, Troy Burress, and David Spears, saying that she wanted to get right with God. While in court, she made a statement saying, I want to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to. Two months later, she received three more death sentences for these murders. By February the next year, she had received a total of six death sentences for the rest of the murders that she committed. The only murder she was not charged in was that of Peter Sims, as his body, like I said, has still never been found. Over the years on death row, Lee would tell different versions as to why she committed the murders. So initially, she claimed that all of them had raped her. She later changed her story from self-defense and said that actually they'd been robberies and she'd killed them in because she didn't want to leave any witnesses behind. 
But according to one source that I was unable to verify, the link wasn't working. Lee had once been like having an interview with a filmmaker and told him when she believed the cameras to be off that the murders really were self-defense, but that she was tired of being on death row and wanted to die already. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this could be in part because of the treatment she received on prison. According to Lee in 2002, she had to endure frequent strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and, quote, catcalling and distaste and a pure hatred towards me. She also claimed that she overheard prison employees trying to get me so pushed over the brink by then I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before execution. Jeez. Yeah. As a result of her supposed treatment, Lee threatened to boycott showers and food when certain officers run duty. The state promised to investigate these claims and present it them by Lee's lawyer, but a spokesperson from the prison denied all the allegations. And I could not figure out what the result of that was. <laughs> yeah. In 2002, Lee wrote a letter to the courts admitting that she had actually just committed the murders because I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. With the court's permission, she fired her lawyers and dropped all appeals so as to quicken her date of death. She said that she needed to die for the killing of those people and that she would prefer to cut to the chase and get off the execution. Taxpayers' money has been squandered and the families have suffered enough. She even claimed in an interview that... The first victim, like the known sex offender, hadn't really assaulted her. And while some people believe this, others think that she was just saying this, like, to be like, oh, I'm just a monster. You should just kill me now. Like, let's just speed yeah, up my execution date. She was just over it. She's like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I lied. After over a decade on death row, Lee finally got her wish and was killed via lethal injection on October 9, 2002. She was just 46 years old at the time of her death. So she was offered a last meal, which she could have had anything she wanted up to $20, but declined it and instead had a cup of coffee. Before her execution, she claimed that she was still in love with and missed Tyra Moore, who she had not, as far as I know, I don't think she spoke to her since her arrest. Because, like I said, Tyra was literally a star witness in getting her arrested. <laughs> Before being lethally injected, she made her final statement saying, I'd just like to say I'm sailing with a rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th. Like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I don't know what the fuck that means, you guys. <laughs> I don't even know how to read that. <laughs> she was cremated and her ashes were spread in her hometown in Michigan. Lee is said to be the most rare of all kinds of murderers. A female serial killer. According to specialists, while using the psych psychopathy checklist she was found to have a psychopathic personality with a score of 32 out of 40 with 30 being used as the cutoff score for like being declared a psychopath damn yeah uh ted bundy was 39 for reference oh fuck. of course he was right i'm surprised yeah. it wasn't fucking 40 <laughs> true the FBI profiler Robert Ressler, who allegedly coined the phrase serial killer, considers Lee to be one of the very few true female serial killers, as he believed it didn't apply to women who, for example, like killed to get money or to get rid of a spouse, even though by definition they are literally serial killers as well. Mm. That makes sense, though. But I thought that was weird because she also was saying, like, at some point saying, like, it was just like a robbery and she killed them, which is just money. So I don't know. I mean, I, mean I feel like it, it was maybe both. 
Yeah, because I think it was like planned. Like if they didn't have money, she probably would have done it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. While in prison, Lee was approached by movie executives and authors who wanted to tell her story. And it was eventually told in several different books and movies, including the critically acclaimed 2003 film Monster, which I watched yesterday on the way to Disneyland. And did back. I did. How was it, it was actually really good. Like some stuff was different because I'd already like I hadn't started writing my notes, but I'd already been like reading a lot about her. So they'd say stuff and I'd be like, that's not true. But uh, for the most part, it was pretty good. They changed her girlfriend's name in it. But I thought it was good. And I thought it was funny because whenever I stopped at Disneyland, it's like right before it started to get intense. So I was like telling Robert how it was just like a regular lesbian romance movie up until that point. (laughs) (laughs) She hadn't killed anyone. Nothing bad happened. And then as soon as I started the movie again on the way back home was like the first murder. And I was like, okay, here we go. That's the kind of movie this is. The action yeah exactly but yeah that is the story of aileen warnos damn wild she she was wild i've heard of that movie before and i've seen her picture but i'd never read about her i didn't really know who she was yeah i remember like hearing about her too and um Mm -hmm. what's it called charlize charlize theron plays her yeah the makeover they gave her is wild. Yeah, that's because I remember like seeing it in an article, or it was one of those like articles of like, you know, ten transformations. So love transformation yeah. you wouldn't believe. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> and I remember I saw her, and I was like, "What the fuck? Doesn't even look like her." Yeah, because she had like really light eyebrows and a lot of freckles, which is not Charlize Theron at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite the makeover. Very. Very good makeover, honestly. Kudos to that yeah. makeup department because they killed it. Pretty accurate. A lot of the movie, I couldn't even like tell that it was that actress. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was interesting. Whenever I was reading about her, I like wanted to talk to Robert about this. But oh, the day before we went to Disneyland, also, I was supposed to go to sleep at midnight, and we were going to wake up at six. And uh at midnight i realized that i'd never taken my antidepressants and i'm supposed to sit up for an hour after taking them otherwise they could cause like bad heartburn so i couldn't go to sleep till like one i didn't fall asleep till like 1 30 so i only slept four and a half hours before disneyland and it's oh shit robert only slept like three and a half because he woke up earlier and on the drive home he had to stop twice and the second time i had to finish driving because we were both like so fucking tired damn but yeah anyway that night, whenever we were like going to sleep hella late, I was like, I wish it wasn't really late because I want to talk to you about whether or not murders are caused from nature or nurture. And he was like, that's fucking weird, but I, I don't think anyone's <laughs> born a murderer. And I wanted to see what you thought. Hmm. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Because I was reading about her and obviously she had like one of the most traumatic childhoods that we've probably ever talked about during the podcast like definitely up there i feel like it can be both because mm-hmm. there are some people that are just born like psychopaths like, or psychopaths yeah exactly yeah. like they're literally born that way but you do hear a lot of stories of people that had shitty like upbringings and like resort to that Mm-hmm. Or they just like become so like numb, I guess. It's weird, but then also like 
People were born born sociopaths and psychopaths. I mean, I don't know much about their childhoods. I only hear obviously about like serial killers' childhoods. Mm -hmm. I'm like, do you think that the way that their parents raise them could make them more likely to kill? Because I'm like, how does like a two year old just turn into like fucking Ted Bundy someday? You know? Yes, I think so. Because I mean, obviously, if you like give your child the help and like the love that they need i think they would definitely turn out differently yeah so it's a little bit of both yeah i think it's a little bit of both because i'm sure there's people who are like technically psychopaths that aren't violent i mean there yeah. definitely are i've like watched youtube videos of them interviewing people <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> i like, mean yeah i could like kill an animal i just don't really feel like it <laughs> sheesh creepy yeah no, it was kind of an intense interview that I watched but yeah I feel like it's a little bit of both because mm-hmm. I mean just thinking in general of like the people you come across like just literally it's all on how you were like raised and like yeah I think I agree you're like different and stuff like that yeah, because I imagine if you, like, are, if you're showing, like, sociopathic or psychopathic, like, tendencies as a kid, your parents probably would treat you differently. And, like, that might make you lean into more violent things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird to think about. But, yeah, you can see why Robert at one thirty in the morning when he had to wake up in three and a half hours is like, I, why are we talking about Yeah, he's this? like, no. He's like, please just let me go to sleep. He was freaked out at first because I was like, oh, I wanted to have a deep talk with you. And he was like, what? Why? And I was like, oh, no, about nature or nurture. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, what else would I want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that is it for my story. All right. So now I'm going to talk about Dorothea Puente. All right. Oh, we're excited. Okay, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, murder! You just woo woo to murder. Sorry, sorry, you're right. Let me let me take it back to a series. Yes. So yeah, Dorothea Helen Puente was an American convicted serial killer. She was dubbed Dorothea the Death House Landlady. The fuck? <laughs> uh, you'll see. So she was originally born Dorothea Helen Gray. On January 9th, 1929, in Redlands, California, which is in San Bernardino County, I believe. Okay. Yeah, whenever so, like, I tell people I'm from Redding, they're like, oh, the Redlands. And I'm like, it's not the same thing. Yeah, totally different <laughs> area. <laughs> Actually, when I first read it, I was like, is that where Leah's from? But then it but then it said um, San Bernardino. I was like, oh, wait, no, definitely yeah. not. <laughs> it just has red in it. It's not the same yeah. place. Are you sure? <laughs> no, not not good geography. I'm pretty sure everyone's caught on to that by now. Oh, <laughs> uh, so funny. But yeah, she had a pretty traumatic upbringing. Both of her parents were alcoholics, and her father repeatedly threatened to commit suicide in front of his children. Oh my god! Yeah, he was crazy. Her father ended up dying of tuberculosis in 1937. Um, her mother you know, just alcoholic and irresponsible mm-hmm. mother, she ended up losing custody of her children in basically the next year in 1938. 
Damn, why do I feel like you have to be really fucked up to lose your kids back then? Right? I imagine they just didn't give a shit. Especially because, like, how, like, um, there isn't as many, like, what's the word? I feel like there wasn't programs that would, like, check up on kids. Like, there was oh, no like CPS. CPS yeah. Or if there was, like, they had, what do they have to do? Like, ride a horse over? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> like, the 1930s. They couldn't just, like, call your cell phone or email you. True, that's very true. Like, I wonder how it worked back then. I, I definitely don't think, I mean, it was that strict, freaking child labor and shit like that. I know, that's why I'm like, damn, she must have really fucked up. Or they just really hated women, so. True. But yeah, I guess that same year that she lost custody of them, she actually died in a motorcycle accident as well. What the fuck? Yeah. Holy shit. But yeah, Dorothea and her siblings were sent to an orf- orphanage where she was sexually abused. And she was around nine, keep in mind, when the, all this oh. was happening. So, it's like, it's pretty... That sucks. So the state took her away from her mom, who, to be fair, was not a great mom. But yeah. put her in, like, even a worse situation. Yeah, in an orphanage where she <sighs> got sexually abused. And then, yeah, it just... It's, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Dorothea's first marriage was in 1945 at the age of 16. Yeah, she got married to a soldier named Fred McFall, who had just returned from the Pacific Theater of World War II. Dorothea had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. I'm not entirely sure why, but she sent one child to live with relatives in Sacramento and basically placed the other one up for adoption. That's super weird. But then again, she was like 16, 17. Yeah, was 17, it, did 18. Did she like do this at the same time? Or like, I don't know if you'd know. It'd probably be hard to find record of it. If she like gave one kid away and put the other up for adoption at the same time. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, because it's weird not to just send them both to the same place, whatever's right? happening. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. Maybe the family in Sacramento was like, we only want one. <laughs> True. <laughs> But yeah, I guess her husband, Fred, ended up leaving her in late 1948 after she suffered a miscarriage. Oh, what a scumbag. My God. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was kind of assuming that maybe that's why she like gave him up because she was young and he oh, had left her. Like she gave him up after he gave yeah. her. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I'm not sure when this happened, but I was actually listening to like a special on her um i don't remember exactly on the timeline so i'm just gonna say it now but she did like at one point become like a prostitute or sex worker yeah um just because you know survival and all that and she did do that for a while is this when she's oh well you said you don't know the timeline i was wondering if she still had her kids and was trying to like supply them with stuff too uh maybe i mean i guess it'd be hard being a woman back then anyway so <laughs> yeah i mean i think she did start young like mm-hmm. she was in and out of sex work oh this is a lot like lee so far yeah it is i told mm-hmm. you i was like whoa um but yeah in the spring of 1948 Dorothea was arrested for purchasing women's accessories using forced checks in riverside california she was charged and pled guilty to two counts of forgery 
and served four months in jail and three years probation. Um, six months after her release, she left Riverside. In 1952, Dorothea married merchant seaman Axel Bren Johansson in San Francisco. She created a fake persona and called herself Taya Singoala Nayarda. <laughs> she was she was all about names and personas yeah very unique names too i don't feel like i've heard of any of those three (laughs) yeah me either but yeah she was like i think around 23 at the time oh wow that's still pretty young but yeah she also claimed to be a muslim of egyptian and israeli descent okay was she (laughs) no i don't think so i think i'm pretty sure she's white Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but, like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, her parents' name, or maybe, her parents, her mom's name was Trudy May and her dad was Jesse James Gray. Um, But, yeah, Axel and Dorothea had a very turbulent marriage. Dorothea would often take advantage of Axel's frequent trips to sea by inviting men to their home and gambling his money away. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, dude, that's brutal. Right? Holy shit. In 1960, Dorothea was arrested for owning and operating a brothel under the guise of a bookkeeping firm in Sacramento. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, freaking, she was resourceful, I guess, to say the yeah, least. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> An entrepreneur, some would say. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> in, in, in some versions. Yeah. Um, she was found guilty and was sentenced to 90 days in the Sacramento County Jail. The next year, in 1961, Axel had Dorothea briefly committed to the DeWitt State Hospital after a binge of drinking, lying, criminal behavior, and suicide attempts. Jesus. While there, doctors actually diagnosed her as a pathological liar with an unstable personality. Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Quite a diagnosis. And I found like an actual or like an article where I guess like the, what's it called? Like the doctor said that she was schizophrenic with no remorse or regret who should be closely monitored. Damn. I'm like, damn, bro. That's that's crazy. But yeah, Dorothea and Axel ended up getting divorced in 1966. Okay. And although they were divorced, she came up with a new identity. So (laughs) she uh, now went by Sharon Johansson. Okay. But yeah, I guess she would hide her delinquent behavior, her (laughs) susness, by basically portraying herself as a kind Christian woman. (laughs) <laughs> your face I'm like that's that eye roll <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I guess that's when she really established her reputation as a caregiver and providing young women with a sanctuary from poverty and abuse without charge so this is um, when I guess hmm. she kind of saw an in and how easy it was to like be a caregiver I mean you'll see what I mean I'm like, this sounds nice. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure um, there's some ulterior motives. Yes. So in 1968, Dorothea married Roberto Jose Puente. She was around 39 at the time. Okay. After 16 months, they got separated. 
with tortilla citing domestic abuse as the main cause. Oh, damn. So in 1969, she attempted to serve him with divorce petition, but he had fled to Mexico, so the divorce wouldn't be finalized until 1973. Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, That's kind of fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess even though they were, like, separated, they, like, still kind of like hooked up and had a relationship it was weird oh god that sounds messy yeah it was but yeah she ended up filing a restraining order against him because <laughs> it got too crazy what the fuck so she says was and... he uh, abusive or was she abusive which one was the abusive I mean, one she said that he was the abusive one okay and yeah they got divorced and everything but she kept his name but yeah, following her divorce, Dorothea would focus on running a boarding house located at 21st Street and F Street in Sacramento. If any <laughs> any Sacramento peeps are familiar with that, I'm like, I I've am been not. Sacramento. I don't remember the exact streets though, but I've probably been near there. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I've been to Sacramento too. Yeah, to Roseville, to be exact. Oh yeah, I think I've been in Roseville too, actually. Yeah, I have um, family who lives in Sacramento. Oh yeah, your brother Sacramento. No? Yeah, <laughs> my brother. Well, I guess he used to live in Sacramento. He doesn't anymore, but oh. we would go and visit him sometimes. Yeah, I had a my dad's sister lived up there. Oh, nice. And my cousin still lives out there. But yeah, she she established herself as a genuine resource to the community to aid alcoholics, the homeless, and mentally ill by holding. Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and assisting individuals to sign up to receive social security benefits. She changed her public image to that of a respect, a respectful, respectable older patron, matron, <laughs> not patron. <laughs> Woo, I'm struggling. Hopefully I could like cut that together. <laughs> if not, it's okay. They, they know me. We'll keep in matron then. Or patron. Come on. Little shits. Little shits know you. But yeah, she basically helped put this image by letting her hair turn gray. She actually, like, wore, like, vintage clothing. She had, like, these large granny glasses. She wanted to look older? Yeah, or she, I mean, she was getting older. But, I mean, she literally looked like a sweet little old grandma, basically. Oh, shit. How funny. She was not. (laughs) She was not. Definitely not. She also established herself as a respected member in the Sacramento's Hispanic community, funding charities, scholarships, and radio programs. And you think like, white, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, now she's Hispanic? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> she eventually met and married a man named Pedro Angel Montalvo, um, though I guess he abruptly left only a week after their marriage. Which I was like, you must have found out something, or or she killed him, or she killed him. Randomly disappears. No one sees him again. Right? I'm like, that's sus. Definitely. In 1978, Dorothea was charged and convicted of illegally cashing in 34 state and federal checks that belonged to her tenants. Damn, dude. (laughs) That's a lot. She was given five years probation in order to pay $4,000 in restitution. 
But that didn't stop her. Ay, ay, ay. In April 1982, 61-year-old Ruth Monroe began living with Tortilla in her upstairs apartment. But she soon died from an overdose of coding and... Coding and another drug. Okay. That I can't pronounce. (laughs) But yeah, I guess Tortilla told police that the woman was very depressed because her husband was terminally ill. Yikes. Yeah, they believed her and ruled her death as a suicide. Damn. I think Dorothea was around 53 at this time. Um, like middle age and now just becoming a murderer? Yeah. <laughs> so a few weeks later, the police returned after Malcolm McKenzie, a 74-year-old pensioner, accused Dorothea of drugging and stealing from him. Damn. Yeah. That makes sense. Harsh. <laughs> On August 18th, 1982, Dorothea was convicted of three theft charges and sentenced to five years in prison. While in there, she began corresponding with a retired 77 year old from Oregon, a man named Everson Gilmouth. So, yeah, they basically started out like pen pals, just friends, and it. Grew into more. Um, Got sexual real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. So when... (laughs) is lonely. (laughs) She she a player. (laughs) She be having all these husbands and shit. Oh my god. (laughs) Um, So yeah, when Dorothea was released from prison in 1985, he actually like met her outside the prison and picked her up in his red 1980 Ford pickup. Of course, that was his car. <laughs> what else um, would it be? Yeah, and I guess she only served three three years of her five-year sentence. That's like so barely over half. Right. But yeah, their relationship developed quickly, and the the couple... <laughs> the couple? <laughs> Are they like Swedish or something? <laughs> the couple? <laughs> My bad. The relationship developed quickly, and the couple was soon making wedding plans. Because, you know, why not add another husband to the list? But yeah, that same year that she was released from prison, she hired a man named Ismael Flores to install some wood paneling in her apartment. And she paid him for his labor and another $800. Um, That's a lot of fucking money. Right? And I guess she also gave him the red Ford pickup. She That's stated, incredibly weird. Mm-hmm. She stated that it belonged to her boyfriend in Los Angeles, who no longer needed it. Because he did. Sus. Because she killed him. Mm-hmm. She then asked Ishmael to build a six by three by two foot box to store, quote, books and other items. Bodies. Hmm. She then <laughs> asked Ishmael to transport the filled, sealed box to a storage depot. Um, he agreed, and Dorothea assisted him. But yeah, she basically asked Ishmael to stop while they were on the Garden Highway in Sutter County to dump the box of junk on the riverbank. I don't know. I think Good you can guess what was evidence. in there. <laughs> yeah. Literally right in front of someone, too. Right? Before. And literally... I think that that was in November of 1985. Mm-hmm. 
and in January of 1986, the fisherman spotted the suspicious-looking coffin-like box near the river and called police. Investigators opened the box and found the badly decomposed and unidentifiable body of an under- elderly man inside. But um, cool. I think we know who it was. <laughs> but yeah, I guess Dorothea continued to collect Everson's pension and wrote letters to his family explaining that the reason he had not contacted them, contacted them was because he was ill. Yes. Sus. But yeah, the whole time she continued to maintain her boarding house and she took in a total, I think, about 40 new tenants. That's actually like, crazy. What the yeah, fuck? That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But Everson's body remained unidentified for three years. Holy shit. That's yeah, a fucking a long time. Long time. I mean, it was back in the late 80s. Yeah, probably way harder to identify things. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but... <laughs> but still compared to now. Okay. Yeah, so what now it's it definitely again? 1980. That was... If it's 1980, that's 32 years ago. No, 42 years well, ago. It was like 19... Okay, the body was found 1986, and then it wasn't... It was still unidentified for three more years, so 1989. Blame me, the 90s, they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. Dorothea continued to accept elderly boarders and was popular with the local social workers because she often accepted referrals of the quote tough cases, most of whom were like either like drug addicts or mm-hmm. abusive tenants. Like she basically accepted everyone. Damn. With a kind soul? Yeah, of course. <laughs> So she actually collected the tenants' monthly mail before they saw it and paid them basically an allowance. <laughs> she basically stole all their money and only gave them a little bit. Without them even realizing? Yeah. But yeah, she basically pocketed the rest for, quote, expenses. Oh, God. During this period, parole agents visited her at least 15 times. Um, she had been ordered to keep away from the elderly and refrain from handling government checks, which she obviously did not listen. That's literally all she knows how to do. Yeah, exactly. That's literally <laughs> what she went back to doing. But according to like the parole agents, no violations were ever noted. That's fucking stupid. Yeah, which is stupid or like kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. I was like, was she paying a mob or something? Well, it's kind of like... I mean, it wasn't as long ago, but it reminds me whenever we talk about like the earlier 1900s, the 1800s, people just got away with the dumbest shit. Maybe it was the same then. True. Or maybe she was just really good at playing it off. True. She just looked like a sweet old lady. Yeah. We both just back and forth each other. True. 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 <laughs> true. <laughs> we make true. it very compelling points here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So the police really didn't, their radar did not go off, basically. Yeah. But some people were, like, neighbors and stuff were getting a little suspicious of her. Um, <laughs> you'll see why. <laughs> okay. So they first started getting suspicious when they noted um, noticed odd activities of a homeless alcoholic known only as Chief, who I guess uh, Dorothea stated that she had adopted. <laughs> and hired as her handyman. Was this like an adult? Yeah. 
So this is literally Lee's story. <laughs> the the all the like parallels here. The right? adopting an adult. <laughs> I was like, yo, it's like That's so sure funny. it's not the same person. Yeah. But yeah, I guess Dorothea had Chief uh dig up the basement and cart soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. At the time the basement floor was covered with a concrete slab. Chief later dismantled the a garage in the backyard and installed a fresh concrete slab there as well which is super sus because especially because soon afterward he disappeared okay that's like some john wayne gacy (laughs) super sus make more room in the crawl space never seen again oh (laughs) my god creepy on november 11th 1988 police inquired or basically went to go talk to her after the disappearance of tenant Alberto Montoya, he was a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia who had been reported missing by his social worker. And they obviously like went to go see what's up and mm-hmm. I guess they had noticed that like some soil was like disturbed or just it looked sus. Okay. So they went, and basically, I actually was listening to this in the little special about her. I was like, what? It was like the detective or whatever that was talking mm-hmm. on how, basically, he, like, showed up to her house and was like, oh, you know, like, have you seen him? Or can or we noticed, like, the soil was, like, weird. So, like, they basically asked her, like, oh, can we go digging or whatever in your, like, backyard? And she was like, Yeah. Or, like, kind of, like, oh, no, actually, the, he said that she said, like, oh, how about, or just kind of playing it off. She was, like, oh, you guys, like, shouldn't have to do that. Like, you know, you guys are busy. Like, oh no. kind of, yeah, just trying to, like, blow it off. Or she said to, basically, she's, like, what, well, why don't I do this? She's, like, why don't I, like, hire some people to, like, come dig it up for you guys. And then you guys come back and, like see it so you don't have to actually like dig yourself or whatever did they fall for it no they didn't he was really like (laughs) he was like no it's okay like we're already here like we we can do it and she was like okay yeah she just knew she was fucked (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um yeah so they got to digging and they uncovered the body of tenant 78 year old leona carpenter so not even the person they were looking for. And I'm like, have you even mentioned this person? What the fuck? No, I haven't. God. But actually in the special that I was listening to, the detective was saying how, you know, he was digging and he came across what he thought was like a root or something. So he was like trying to like pull it with his hands because he mm-hmm. thought, you know, it was a root. And then, yeah, he finally like dislodged it. And then turns out it was like a femur. Oh, fuck no. Fuck that. So he was like, well. And then I guess um, Dorothea was like, oh, my God. Imagine. I didn't know that was there. (laughs) You know, she's just a sweet little old lady. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who's fucking crazy. (laughs) But yeah. A total of seven bodies were eventually found buried on the property. Seven? Seven. How the fuck did she even get to do seven like burials without anyone noticing what was going right? on. I don't know. 
I must have done it in the middle of the night. I guess so. But uh, yeah, she was charged with a total of nine murders. The first being her boyfriend, Everson Gilmouth. And then the other eight were tenants who had lived at the boarding house, which include... Dude, what the fuck? Yeah, it included Ruth Monroe, 61, Leona Carpenter, who was 78, Alvaro Bert Gonzalez Montoya, who was 51, Dorothy Miller, who was 64, Benjamin Fink, who was 55, James Gallup, who was 62, Vera Faye Martin, who was 64, and Betty Palmer, who was 78. But yeah, according to investigators, most of her victims had been drugged until they overdosed. Dorothea then wrapped them in their bedsheets and plastic lining before dragging them to the open pits in the backyard for burial. The fuck? But yeah, like I said, the detective was like totally... Did not see her as a suspect. Like, she was just, you know, <laughs> sweet little old grandma looking. And um, I guess they allowed her to, like, leave the property while they were digging. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because they did not suspect her. Jesus. And so she had, like, said that she was going to go buy a cup of coffee, like, at a nearby hotel or something like that. Yeah. And... She did not stay at the hotel. Oh, she God. bought her coffee and fled immediately to L.A., Los Angeles. That's fucking <laughs> funny. <laughs> I was they like, really oh, my God. They were like, have fun. Yeah. They were like, oh. But, yeah, she went to Los Angeles where she ended up bef- befriending an elderly male pensioner who whom she had met at a bar. Oh, no. Um, All these elderly and middle-aged people need to right? stay away from her. Exactly. But unbeknownst to Dorothea, he had actually recognized her from the TV. Oh, Because they were, like, playing basically, like, obviously in the news. They were talking about how they discovered all these bodies and were basically looking for her. Can you imagine, like, hanging out at one of the bar and, like, making a friend and then watching TV and just saying, like, yeah, a bunch of bodies were found at their house. I'd be like, um, what? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't think they were playing it there, but, like, he recognized her because he had seen the news. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still terrifying. Yeah. The, the, I was, like, imagine sitting <laughs> next to him and, like, them talking to you and shit. Knowing that you're just their type. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even scarier. But, yeah, I guess he had contacted the local law enforcement who then quickly arrested Dorothea. Uh, she hired two lawyers, Kevin Climo and Peter... Valtine the third. Her trial began in October of nineteen ninety two. Okay. And it ended a year later, so nineteen ninety-three. The prosecutor was John O'Mara, who was the homicide supervisor in the Sacramento County District's office. But yeah, they bas- she hired her two lawyers and they like basically had her transferred to back up to where was it, San Francisco? Or Sacramento? Yeah, because yeah, she was in L.A. Direct to NorCal? Yeah. But yeah, the prosecutor was... He was... He was a, he was a good prosecutor. He called oh. over 130 witnesses. Holy shit. Um, and he basically argued to the jury that Dorothea had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep and then suffocated them 
and hired Ooh. convicts to dig the holes in her yard. Oh, so she had help too. Wow. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Uh, me too, because I was like, she was kind of, she was in her 50s, close to 60s. I was like, was she like super jacked Loki? <laughs> <laughs> so he concluded his closing argument by showing a picture of a commonly used in psychology that can always be viewed in different ways. And basically he said, keep in mind things are not always as they seem. But yeah, the jury deliberated for over a month and eventually found Dorothea guilty of three murders. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. The jury was deadlocked 11 to 1 for conviction on all counts. And the lone holdout finally agreed to a conviction of two first-degree murder counts, including special circumstances and one second-degree murder count. Goddamn. Yeah. I was like, damn, more at least they agreed. <laughs> the defense also called several witnesses who showed Dorothea had a generous and caring side to her. I guess they even, like, got her long-lost daughter. What the fuck? I was like, what the fuck? Did yeah. The one she wrote for adoption or that she gave it to her family? I'm not sure which one. That's so weird, though. But I guess she testified how Dorothea had helped them. Or not, like, her, but, like... Other witnesses um, testified how Dorothea had helped them in their youth and guided them to a, a successful, like, be successful in the success. <laughs> I said, successful. I did say that. A bunch of Herberts. Dorothea. Oh, sorry. The naughty. <laughs> successful. I thought it was just like me hearing it weird, so I just nodded. No. I was like, I was say? trying to play it off, but I was like, dude, that was so obvious. The sex pool. <laughs> she was very crazy. <laughs> uh, too funny. Mental health experts testified of Dorothea's abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate. At the same time, they agreed she had an evil side brought on um, by the stress of caring for her down-and-out tenants. So she killed them. <laughs> <laughs> she, she used them and kept collecting their money. Yeah, it's a weird way to deal with stress. Right. Must say. Very. But yeah, the prosecutor John O'Mara's closing arguments focus on Dorothea's acts of murder. Does anyone become responsible for their conduct in this world? These people were human beings. They had the right to live. They did not have a lot of possessions, no houses, no cars, only their social security checks and their lives. She took it all. Death is only appropriate penalty. Holy shit. Yeah, he was going for it. I didn't think that's how it was going to end. This like a 61-year-old <laughs> woman, they're like, she must die. <laughs> is she much um, of a danger anymore can you just probably for life <laughs> right her lawyer Kevin Climo responded by evoking Dorothea the child and the caregiver but yeah her other lawyer was basically said we are here today to determine one thing what is the value of Dorothea Puente's life that is the question does she have to be killed and then he spoke about her childhood just touching on like the very traumatic aspects that shaped yeah, her life and stuff. yeah 
and basically urged the jurors to see the world through her eyes. You have heard of the despair, which was the foundation of her life, the anger and the resentment. If anyone in the jury room tells you it's not that bad, ask them, what do you want to happen to yourself? What would you want to happen to your children? I am led to believe if there is any reason for us to be living here on this earth, it is to somehow enhance one another's humanity, to love, to touch each other with kindness, to know that you have made just one person breathe easier because you have lived. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this is why people have come to testify for Dorothea Puente. I think you can only truly understand why so many people testified, and I ask you to spare Dorothea's life only if you have ever fallen down and stumbled on the road of life and had someone pick you up, give you comfort, give you love, show you the way. Then you will understand why these people believe Dorothea's life is worth saving. That is mitigating. That is a human quality that deserves to be preserved. It is a flame of humanity that is burned inside Dorothea since she was young. That is the reason to give Dorothea Puente life without the possibility of parole. What a fucking quote. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I was basically his rather. whole speech. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, he went oh, off. I kind of changed my idea too. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel motivated? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in 1993, she was convicted of three of the murders, although the jury could not agree on the other six. Okay. Um, and after several days of deliberations, the jury was deadlocked seven to five. So Judge Michael J. Verga declared a mistrial. Holy shit. Yeah. But yeah, she received life without the possibility of parole. She was incarcerated at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. Okay. I don't know where that is, but... Uh, do I? I have no idea. <laughs> that's a funny name, Chowchilla. I do like it. It reminds me of Chihuahua. You don't sound close. <laughs> I thought Chinchilla. Oh, Chinchilla. That's even better. You're right. But yeah, for the rest of her life, she maintained her innocence, insisting that all of her boarders had died of natural causes. All seven of them? And then why would you bury them, too? Right. Makes no fucking sense. Um, But yeah, she was 64 when she was, like, sentenced and everything, or convicted. Holy shit. But yeah, Dorothea Puente ended up dying in prison on March 27th, 2011 from natural causes. She was 82. She was pretty old. Yeah, she was. Damn. But yeah, that's basically the story of her. Her story, I guess, has come out in like a lot of like TV shows and stuff, like um, yeah. Deadly Women. Um, Love that show. I used to watch it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I like loved. I loved. I used to love all of those, like uh, Fatal Attraction. Snapped. Snapped. Definitely. I would watch them all in the middle of the night whenever I was in homeschool and high school. Yep. <laughs> me too well i mean i wasn't homeschooled but like <laughs> you were just tired at regular school the next day <laughs> yeah and then there's also a movie that came out it's called evil spirits and it's like loosely based on like the murders and yeah i guess in 
I think the the year right after a few years after she like was convicted and everything and went to to prison, she actually like began talking to someone named Shane Bugby who <laughs> basically interviewed her and like they had a like a show called Cooking with the Serial Killer or something like that. What the fuck? And it was like a whole special and literally so like interviewed and cooked together or some shit like that that's so fucking mega weird Mm -hmm. and i guess the house that you know where she lived and everything happened it's still standing to this day and it's um owned by a couple who like basically embraced it's like history nice and it some people actually say that it's like haunted of course it is i want to go to it right but yeah i guess like everything's pretty like original is still the same like layout and everything the no, same like, like floor i think they just said like the outside has changed yeah but they said like the flooring and everything is literally still the same that's really cool i want to go the owners or whatever they're like super open to it like they're like it's a part of history basically <laughs> which i think it's cool but i was like damn but I guess even Ghost Adventures went in really? 2015, yeah, to the house. Of course they did. Because I guess there's supposedly hauntings by the victims, and some say Dorothea herself. That'd be interesting to watch that episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm gonna look her up so much after this. <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't look like a mean old lady. She, she just look like looks Ted Bundy. <laughs> no, she looks like. She does look like a sweet old lady. Like, if you look her up. Oh, yeah, she does. She looks like just a normal old lady. Yeah, she looks like a normal old lady. Like, a like literally a grandma. And she was a fucking serial killer. That is insane. Yeah. How was... weird. That's fucking weird. Okay. But, yeah, that's the story of... The killer landlady. <laughs> what a like unfortunate nickname to have. <laughs> the mean, killer landlady. It's the not killer very exciting, is it? No. I mean, I guess you don't need a good nickname. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you got anything else to add? Um, no. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. If you want to email us, you can at thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are spookyshit underscore pod and our website spookyshit-bob.com. I think I already said it, but I'll say it again. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we will catch you guys next week. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Bye.